You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Whitney Catalano, who is a self-worth, intuitive success, and life alignment coach who helps people get out of their own way, follow their goals, and create a business and life that lights them up. Welcome, Whitney. Thanks. I'm like, oh, is that what is that the bio that I sent you? I change my bio <laughs> like every five seconds. So sounds good enough. Yeah. A multi-passionate individual, I guess. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I feel like my Instagram bio is kind of the same. I'm like, I'm not feeling this today. Let's, let's switch it up a little bit. There's a better way that I could say this. I, I yeah. just did, I actually did a, um, a short session with one of my past coaches yesterday. And she was like, why are you here? Like, why did you book this? Cause it was like an offer she didn't. I was like, well, you know, like I'm still trying to figure out like how to, you know, identify myself and all this stuff. And she was like, Whitney. And I was like, what? She's like, stop. <laughs> you're supposed to help other people. Cause she's like, she does human design stuff. So she was like, you're supposed to help other people identify their direction and like their thing. You're not like, there's no value in you having this like clear cut identity. I'm like, but what about bios? Like everyone has, like, you have to have a bio to be successful. And she was like, okay, well, that's a belief that you need to look at. And I was like, Word. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I think we attach ourselves to these things that are actually not important and distract ourselves from what really is important. And I think that probably leads into our, what we're going to talk about today. But um, I wanted to kind of start off with a bit about you right now, you're an emotional and intuitive mentor for business owners and a life coach. But what some people listening might not know is that you used to be a registered dietitian who specialized in food and body image work. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us maybe more about your journey that led you into that work and ultimately why you pivoted and changed paths? Yeah. So the short version is that, you know, classic eating disorder in high school and college and binge eating and all of that. And then I was like, you know, studying nutrition is going to fix everything. And I'm going to, I'm going to have my whole life figured out and I'm going to master my food and like all these things. Like it was just a ploy for control. And so that's what I ended up studying in college. And it actually worked out because I wanted to be a therapist originally. Mm. And I could not get into any upper level site classes because I had tested out of the lower level site classes and I couldn't get into any. So I was just kind of like, screwing around for a little while. And then I saw, I learned about dietetics and I saw a, that my college had like a a really great nutrition program. And I learned about being a dietitian. So even in college, I had this mindset or this uh, awareness to be like, well, I want to be like a therapist, but with food. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that I'm going to get into this. So, you know, there was a sort of deeper mindset that that carried through, but then there was also the eating disorder component that was like, you know, very sort of ego and desperation driven, which I mean, love her, but that's, yeah, that's what it was. And then I, um, started healing my relationship with food after I became a dietitian and learned about intuitive eating, learned about food freedom, learned about like binge eating and actually, you know, what restriction does to the body and all these things. And so that, was around the same time that I was starting my business and that I just kind of went into that and started helping people with it, which was great because I was really good at it. And I was really good at understanding like the emotional component and like confidence and body image and like all these things. It was just, it came very naturally to me Mm -hmm. and I built this, you know, pretty successful, I would say business off of it. I feel like I made quite a name for myself very quickly. And then 2020 came around and I was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore because I was looking one of the things that was driving me while I was building my business was I was looking around at all these other dietitians and being, you know, people like Christy Harrison, mm-hmm. I was looking around at her and like other dietitians and, um, you know, people like Marie Forleo, like the entrepreneurs who've been in the game for 10, 15 years. And I was like judging, I was basing my career trajectory off of what I saw them doing. And so it kind of occurred to me in 2020 when I was actually like mid writing a book and by mid writing a book, I mean, avoiding writing it at all costs. And it was like quickly due. I, it occurred to me that I was going to be stuck in this for a while. 
And I was like, oh shit, I don't want to do that. Like I've really pigeonholed myself in a way that I don't see a way out of. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've learned a lot since then. I would have gone about it really differently now, but like you can't learn without screwing up. So, um, but I think I, I don't even see it as a screw up. I see it as just like, it it was what it was. Um, but yeah, I just, I panicked and was like, I got to get out of this. And it's the best thing I ever did. Honestly, it was like burned down my whole business. I think I did one more launch for my food freedom program. And it really like took everything I had to get through that launch. And that's how I knew I was like, okay, this is like, not, this doesn't feel good. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like there were certain things that I was like, I just can't talk about this anymore. I don't want to be in this field anymore. And it's not that I don't want to help people. Like the work that I was doing one-on-one with clients was really like emotional and very purpose-driven, very like, it it was like everything in addition to food, you know, it's like, I, food was the marketing, but once they got into my one-on-one containers, it's like, we did everything else. And that's the work that I love. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to do the food piece to get those same clients. I just wanted to help people with all the other stuff. So that's, that's why I ended up pivoting. And I, you know, gave up my book deal, which was the best decision ever. And yeah, that was it. Didn't look back. Honestly, so much bravery, at least from where I'm sitting, that's what it feels like to me is just so much bravery went into that. I remember we were working together. We were doing uh, a six-week sprint and we were launching my body image course. And I remember we were talking about testimonials because technically, at least in Ontario, as a registered dietitian, you're not supposed to post testimonials. I remember that. And yeah. ev- everybody does it anyways. And every yeah. nutritionist out there does it. So it's like, why can't registered dietitians do it? This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. Anybody from the college, don't, don't listen to this if you're listening. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I remember you asked me, you're like, if you had to put your RD title on the line in order to post testimonials. If you had to like give that up in order to be successful in your business, would you do it? And I remember that thought scared the shit out of me. Mm. And I think it's interesting because this is still, I mean, you were doing business coaching back then, but I think you were also doing food and body at the time. Actually, I was I can't like remember. transitioning, but yeah. I, the six week sprints, you were like one of my first clients, the six week sprints were my like transition into business coaching from what I was doing. Yeah. So that was kind of my first right. experiment with it just to see how mm. it would go. And I found out I really liked it and was good at it. So yeah. 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 But you were, you were burning it all down in your own business. And so mm-hmm. it was like, you were kind of sharing with me too, what you were doing and maybe what was also kind of like brave, but scary for you at the time as well. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, people, people bring up that it feels brave, but what's interesting about it is that I, I mean, listen, I was a little bit manic 2020, so I don't, <laughs> it's, I was in a totally different headspace. I was going through this like spiritual awakening and all of these things. And I was just it's, I am glad for that because it didn't feel brave. It just Mm. felt necessary at the time. It felt Mm. like that was the only option. So I look back and I'm like, Oh yeah, that was really brave of me. Like, I can't believe I did that. And if I can make it through that, I can pretty much make it through anything. But at the time it didn't feel that way. It didn't, I've done scarier things in my business because I was more I had the option to not do them. And I feel like I'd gotten to this point and I'd gotten to this critical turning point in my business where it was like, I have to burn this down now. Otherwise I'm on the hook for the next at minimum 12 to 18 months with this book at minimum, because I was responsible for the marketing of the book. I was responsible for the success of it. Like, which was also, I wouldn't ever sign a book deal like that again, where I'm the only one who's responsible for the marketing. It was a terrible book deal. I didn't even know. So that ended up being a huge blessing, but it was such a critical point for me where I, I was like backed up against a wall and I knew I needed to get out. And so it didn't feel brave at the time. Mm. Like the book deal was kind of a test from the universe. It's like, make a choice, do it now. Yeah. It's like, you're in really deep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, great things came of it for you, which is really awesome to see. And something, something that you talk a lot on your page about is kind of discerning between your intuition and fears or anxiety. How can you actually tell those things apart? And so that you're not always making decisions just solely out of fear. 
the thing that I often tell people is that there's the thing that you want to do. And then there's everything else, the, all the thoughts, all the what ifs, all the fears, all the doubts. And so people will pretty quickly tell me, you know, when I do, I do these intensive calls with people and they will pretty quickly tell me what they want. But then they say, I don't know what I want because I want this thing. And they almost, it's actually wild. People will say it this verbatim and they don't even hear themselves speaking. They're like, I want this thing but, and what if, and then like, no, these things. And then they talk themselves in circles about it and they could talk for 20 minutes. I have to cut people off a lot and just be like, all right, I hear, I, I hear you. Let's stop with the mind chatter. Cause we could do this all day. You yeah. could literally have me here for 24 hours doing the mind chatter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to the core of it. The core of it. You told me what you want. Can you hear it? Like before I tell you what I heard, can you even hear it? And so sometimes it'll be like, oh yeah, it's this. And sometimes it's like, no, I can't. So I, you know, I mirror that back to them and that's great. There's the thing. And then there's the thought spirals around it. The thing that you Mm -hmm. want in the intuitive choice is usually not something that makes a ton of sense. Mm. I mean, it can, but when you're operating out of fear, there's a lot of like rationality and lists and like pros and cons and a lot of justification. And it's also just an energetic difference. Operating out of fear is such a tense, visceral energy and operating out of your intuition is much more relaxed and open. Even if it feels scary, like you still might have butterflies and you still might be resistant and you still might avoid it. And you still might be like, Oh, but I still want this thing. It kind of keeps coming back. And you're like, I still want it. If you put it down for a month, I still want it. So it's like, it keeps coming back up. Whereas the fear thing, it feels so visceral, so intense. And it's, there's just a, it's just chaotic. That's kind of the best way I know how to describe it. I get what you're saying though. There, You can feel in your body that difference between when you're acting out of fear and when you're acting out of intuition. One just feels, even if it's scary, like you said, it almost feels settled like there Mm -hmm. is part of you that feels at peace even if you haven't done the thing yet and I mean I think that really does relate to you know food and body image too right taking Mm -hmm. that step to actually move forward in healing your relationship with food it's scary and there's all these what ifs that come up around oh well what if I gain weight or what if these people judge me or what if you know my my mom thinks I'm doing the wrong thing or what if what if what if you know that you need to do something different. Like, you know, in your core that you cannot continue doing what you are doing right now Mm -hmm. and you have to trust that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So what does trusting yourself actually mean then? Mm, um, Trusting yourself means trusting yourself without proof and being able to take risks on yourself about proof. And I think looking at it in the context of a relationship is really helpful. So Mm -hmm. in a relationship, you have this sort of baseline level of trust with a person where you don't actually, especially in a new relationship, you don't actually know if you can trust them yet. Right. But you're taking, you're both taking a risk because you're like, there's something here. I, you know, whatever, there's, uh, there's some reason why I trust this person and they're trusting me. And so we're going to enter into this and even being with someone every day and deciding to stay in a relationship with someone every day requires a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of sort of suspending that fear and suspending that disbelief of like, well, what if something goes wrong? And what if they're lying? And what if this? And what if that? What if they're going to hurt me? And all these things. It's continuing to make that choice of trusting every day. The same thing is true with a relationship with yourself is sometimes you don't have any proof that it's going to work out. Sometimes you don't have any proof that you can trust yourself because you've never actually put yourself in a situation where you've had to, you've always relied on opinions of others. You've always outsourced your power. You've always, you know, you've maybe built your entire life on what other people wanted for you or whether what like seemed good at the time, but wasn't actually what you wanted. And so when you start putting yourself, putting yourself in position to trust yourself there may not be any proof that this is going to go well. And yet it's still taking those risks on your intuition and being able to take those steps forward as little as they're going to be as you continue to build that trust and see the proof that it does work out. Yeah. Taking those small steps. I think people really get caught up in the kind of all or nothing of like, Mm -hmm. I need to do everything right now. I need to go all in. And I mean, maybe sometimes you do, but I think there's a lot of credit that needs to be given for taking really small steps and like creating that proof. Yeah, 
Exactly. You can actually trust yourself. Yeah. The only time that you're going to have to go all in is if you are like me (laughs) and you have to, you waited so long that you were backed into a corner. And that's actually, it's so funny because people say this to me all the time. They're like, oh, well, I want to work with you, but I'm scared that I'm going to have to make all these changes to my life. And I'm like, the longer you wait, the bigger the changes. Yeah, true. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you, but you're putting yourself in a position where the longer you wait to do this, the more dire the circumstances are going to be. And unfortunately, most people are motivated by pain and not by pleasure. And so they do wait until the circumstances are dire. You kind of wait until that rock bottom and then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, now I like I have no other choice. I literally need to do something about this. Yeah. Because- like I have nowhere else to go. And there can be a lot of beauty that comes from that, right? Because you truly are, you know, rebuilding everything. But there's also a lot of pain that comes in hitting that rock bottom in the first place. So Mm -hmm. a lot of pain that people don't even realize that they're putting themselves into because they're so used to that sort of subtle, constant dissatisfaction. Yeah. That they're like, well, what about the cost of losing all this comfort that I have now or all this certainty that I have now? And it's like, well, you know, one, you don't actually have certainty right now, but two, you're not taking into consideration the cost of, of actually remaining in your life as it is right now. Yeah. Because you're just so used to it. Just because it's comfortable and familiar doesn't mean it's serving you. Right. It's just safe because you know it and you live it every day, even if it's harming you in one way or multiple ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's hard, right? Because as humans, we want to be comfortable always. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And so staying in that place that's like, it's harmful. We sometimes don't even see the harmful parts because we're like, well, it's comfortable. And this mm-hmm. is just, this is what I know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really tricky. And honestly, maybe do, you sometimes do need to hit that rock bottom so that you can be uncomfortable in that comfy place. Yeah, I agree. I, I think really a lot of people do. Yeah. I'm like, well, hit me up when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here. I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm ready. And then they always come to me and they're like, yeah, you were right. I'm like, I listen. I don't want to be right, but it's, I can see it from a mile away because I've been through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happens for me too, is people will be like, oh yeah, I've been following you for, you know, a year, eight months, or just this really long amount of time. And I've been kind of just following you and waiting and now things are really, really bad. And so I decided to reach out and it's like, well, I mean, I get that sometimes you need that to happen, but Imagine if you would have reached out when you first just found me and resonated with what I was saying, things could have been a lot different and we could have been starting from a much better place, but yeah, everybody has their own journey for sure. Yeah. And we have to, you know, we inherently have to be, be careful with that, like saying that and putting that because that's usually going through most people's minds anyway. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I, I'm always very delicate because it's like, I'll say it, <laughs> but then I'm like, that's not a reason to beat yourself up. Yeah. It just is like the quicker Mm. that you can accept that it just is, the more empowered you're going to be moving forward. Yeah. I think it's an important lesson for people for other things in their life, right? Is don't wait. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, you don't have to wait until things are really awful and you can do something about it now. It's okay. Yes. Do you think that ADHD and neurodivergence factor into this and like this whole conversation of self-trust and trusting yourself? Totally. Yeah, because I mean, with impulsivity, especially, I think that this is really tricky for a lot of people because when you make a lot of impulsive decisions, a lot of times those impulsive decisions end up being Mm self-destructive and it can feel, I mean, I know I've been in that position where it's like, I've made an impulsive decision and I was like, well, I'm trusting myself to do this. And then I look back. I'm like, oh, that was sabotage. That was me totally sabotaging myself. And I I mistaked, mistook, whatever, trust for fear or fear for trust, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I think it is. I think it is tricky. I also think it's tricky because people who are neurodivergent grow up with more conditioning that they can't trust themselves because they don't fit in because they don't, you know. They don't, yeah, they just do things differently. And so what's ironic is that when I'm working with neurodivergent people around success and like being successful, whether it's in their business or the lives or whatever, it's, they're always more successful when they can trust themselves always, 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 because neurodivergent people need to learn how to do things their own way. 
Mm. It's following the cookie cutter approach to doing things is just never going to work. And the more that you try to follow it, the harder it's going to be and the less it's going to work. And then you're going to be like, well, I think I feel like I'm trusting myself. And it's like, well, no, you're actually looking outside of yourself for the answers and wondering why it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they were taught. Yeah. You know, they, they likely had a parent that was like, why can't you just sit still and do your homework? Or why can't you just, you know, focus? Or why can't you just do this, this and that? And it's like, because that's not actually how you're supposed to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it leads to burnout when you're trying to do all of these things in a way that doesn't actually work for you, but you're thinking that you should do them this way because that's how everybody else does it. You just, you end up driving yourself into the ground and getting to this place where you're just so unmotivated all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, when people get to that place of feeling unmotivated and burnt out, I feel like so often they create all these stories that they're, you know, lazy and undisciplined and a failure. What's your take on all of that? I mean, the like, I'm lazy narrative drives me up a friggin' wall, but only because, (laughs) I I mean, and it's with so much empathy. I, (laughs) everything I say, it's just because I've been in this game for so long and I can't even, I can't even tell you how many times I've said the words like lazy does not exist, that when people still continue to tell me that they're lazy, I'm like, (laughs) no, you're not. Um, and it's again, not your fault that you believe that you're lazy, but it's just, it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing. Uh, People who use the term lazy are people who do not understand human behavior and motivation. It's really that simple. The, as soon as I have these arguments a lot with like family friends, you know, Mm. who like politically driven arguments that around like people are just so lazy these days. And that to me is an instant tell that you don't know anything about trauma. You don't know anything about human behavior. You don't know anything about motivation. And, yeah. and there's, we can't have a conversation then. Well, yeah. Cause they're going to have their own stance and they're not going to listen or be open to anything that you're saying. They'd be like, no, if, people we're are looking, if we're looking at human behavior through the lens of morality, which is just a, you know, rooted in like. Christian fundamentalism and all that stuff that has just been morphed and taken so far, right? And has been applied to capitalism. And like we could go into all of that. But if we're really looking at human behavior through morality, it's a dead end. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere. It's assigning something as bad, like not procrastinating, right? Assigning procrastination as bad and inherently lazy and wrong and whatever is a non-starter. We actually mm-hmm. cannot do anything with that. True. Yeah. What like, oh, this person is just lazy. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to do? Like, did that make you feel better? Like what, what am I supposed to do with that information? Because it's a non-starter. If you actually tell me what's going on in that person's life, then we can work on their procrastination. Mm-hmm. Then we can work on why they're not, you know, doing the things that they want to be doing. And why are we even talking about someone else? What about you? Like, I want to talk to the person who's actually struggling with this. And why don't you tell me the context of your life and you let me know what's going on. You let me know what you want. And then we can figure this out if that's something that you want. Yeah. But to just arbitrarily call people lazy and then to have that internalized and be like, I'm lazy because I can't do these things. It's just a non-starter. It's the shame cycle. And we're, mm-hmm. it's, we're never going to get out of that. I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, I, I've never heard that word like non-starter being paired with it, but it describes it so perfectly because it's true. It just, it stops there. It like sets up this wall where it's like, okay, well, we're not going to explore this anymore. Like, this is just it. This is the label. And, and that's just who you are as a person. But I am with you. Nobody is lazy. Somebody who is feeling unmotivated to do something or just can't seem to do it or can't seem to make it happen, you know, they're maybe depressed or anxious or overwhelmed or just burnt out or tired. They they have a thousand other things going on. Any one of these factors, or maybe it's just not super not aligned for them in some way. They just don't want to. Yeah. That's the one that people don't ever want to hear. That's how they're like, well, do it anyway. And it's like, ah, that's a bigger conversation that we need to have. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, they're not lazy. It's not, you don't have this character flaw about you. Right. I think the only way that you can positively apply lazy is like, I'm just having, you know, a lazy Sunday or something. I definitely use the word every now and then is like in a, a lighthearted way. Yeah. If we're going to use it, it's got to be inherently neutral and it's got to be like, 
something that you're owning. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just having a lazy Sunday. That sounds lovely, you know? Totally. Or I'm, you know, I'm just like, ugh, I'm too lazy for that. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That I'm good with that. Like, you don't have to go do that thing then. Yeah, you're you're owning it. You're you're not just you're using it as kind of an adjective to describe something other than you and your character and who you are exactly. as an individual. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because that it also kind of ends up becoming the self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? Where if you're like, I'm lazy at this or that or everything, I'm just lazy, then you end up acting that out and playing that out, which reinforces that narrative about yourself. And then you get super stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you mentioned the shame cycle as well. That plays in there too. And then, you know, eventually you hit rock bottom and then you need one of us to pull you out of it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And so if someone is feeling burnt out, I've seen on your page, you talk a lot about intentional rest. How can somebody actually take intentional rest and not, you know, quote unquote, feel lazy or feel like they're wasting their time or take unintentional rest and end up just not resting? Yeah. So that's a really big one because I think a lot of people struggle with intentional rest. I know I even do. I there's two parts of this. And the first part, especially with burnout is there is an element of needing to trust yourself after burnout and trust that you're going to bounce back. A lot Mm. of people go through a burnout and then they, their bodies literally force them down. And I say this all the time. Like if you don't slow down, your body will slow you down. Like your body will put a hard stop and you're going to hit a wall and you're going to wonder what happened and like be freaking out and you're not going to be prepared. But I've had to go through that. A lot of people have to go through that. Like it's just kind of the nature of living in the society that we live in, unfortunately. But the biggest thing is like, you have to trust that you're going to bounce back, that you're going to get your motivation back. You're going to get, you know, all these things back. And two, there has to be rest without constantly thinking about the things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Because when you're constantly thinking about your to-do list and all the things that you're not doing and all the things that you should be doing and, you know, what people are going to think and if people are disappointed in you and if you're disappointed in you and all this stuff, like that's not rest. That's just like, you're, you're actually working so hard in your head. And so what people see from the outside is you're laying on the couch on TikTok, but what's actually happening inside is that you're working yourself so hard, but you're not actually moving forward on anything, which is like 10 times more stressful than it would be to just work on the thing that you want to be working on. So if so you're going to be resting, you got to just rest. Like you have to just watch the TV, like <laughs> finish the show, you know, like actually <laughs> get out of your head for a second and just be in the resting. Do you have any tips for how people can do that? Cause mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, yes, that's what I need to do. But how, <laughs> I mean, I think the first step is awareness. It's catching yourself in the pattern of beating yourself up. Cause I mean, again, I do it too. Like I will yeah. be sitting on the couch on a Wednesday. I don't, or Tuesday or whatever. And I don't want to be doing whatever it is that I should quote unquote be doing. And I'm scrolling TikTok. And I'll have this moment of like, I need to get up. I need to, okay, wait, I'm just sitting here scrolling TikTok. So what if I just gave myself unconditional permission to scroll TikTok today? Like, that's just all I'm going to do today is just scroll TikTok. That's fine. I'm not going to judge myself for it. Whatever. What's ironic about that is like nine out of 10 times when I give myself actual unconditional permission to scroll TikTok all day, I maybe do it for like 30 minutes and then I'm kind of over it because it's the shame that's keeping me there. True. Like, yes, it's the dopamine, but it's also the shame and the fact that I'm avoiding my thoughts with TikTok. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I quiet the thoughts and I just say, you know what, I'm not, I'm just not going to even, I'm, I'm going to bring presence to this moment for a second. I'm just going to let myself scroll TikTok all day, no matter what my little gremlin brain wants to tell me about how bad that is eventually it kind of just lets up. You're kind of like, okay, this is a little bit boring. Like what's, what's next. And I don't necessarily do any work that day, but maybe I'll go for a walk or maybe I'll, you know, Mm -hmm. go make some food. And that's the second thing too. Moving your body is going to be huge. Mm. So if you really struggle with intentional rest, and I know that's not technically resting, right. But it's like moving your body, even just going to take a walk or going to do some really low impact exercise is going to help you get out of your head. Yeah. 
into your body into your body and then also like glamorize it a little bit so if you're gonna be resting like treat you know you could do a little spa day a lazy sunday like make it a thing yeah treat yourself make it fun because that almost like tricks our little productivity obsessed brains into vibing absolutely i am totally in agreement with that yeah yeah it feels like oh my god i've done all of these things when you've rested and you mm-hmm. have done all these things and you know now you feel good about it rather than just staying stuck in that shame spiral and scrolling on tiktok i mean the fact that you bring up unconditional permission it's the same thing as the process with food too right if you're obsessing over a certain food and you're thinking about it all the time you're always mm-hmm. wanting it every time you have it you end up overeating or binging on it what you really need is that unconditional permission with it. And for a period of time, yeah, you might be kind of even more obsessive over it. You might want to keep going for it over and over again, but you are going to get tired of it. You are going to get to that place just like with TikTok where you're like, yeah, this just, I mean, I still enjoy this. I'm always going to enjoy, you know, the pizza and TikTok, but I don't want to go for it all the time. Right. Like I'm, it's, it's fine. Yeah. It gives you space to go to other things and mm-hmm. do other things and be more balanced. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That intentional rest is is hard. And it's something that I feel like is a continual process, a continual it process. Is. It's For just sure. catching yourself in it like over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Does the same thing go for guilt? Like if somebody always feels guilty when they rest, is there kind of a mindset shift for how to think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same. It's there is a deeper layer of looking at like, where's that guilt coming from and whose voice is that? And, you know, all the same things you do with food, where, who taught you to feel this way. And something that I actually like, something that I lean into a lot with clients is around guilt is encouraging them to own the guilt. So, cause there are just people who come to me and they're like, I'm never going to not feel guilty about this. I'm like, well, if you're married to this, then okay. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. So let's, let's approach it from a different way. Let yourself be guilty and like dramatize it. Like, oh, I'm such a bad person for doing this. Oh, I'm the fucking worst. Like, I'm so bad. Like really dramatize it. Like throw a little tantrum, like get mad at yourself. Like make it a whole, make a whole scene about the fact that you're so bad for not doing your work. Yeah. it's that works actually so well for certain people. So I've never heard of it that way before. There's some people who that I don't recommend that to, but then there's some people who just, they, they get to this point where they're not like letting me actually question, help them question the thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, fine, keep it. Play it up. Give it to me. I want to hear how bad you are. I want to hear like how I want to know why you are just the worst person on the planet. Tell me. And I want you to spend the next week in it. Go spend the next week feeling so guilty and throw yourself the biggest petty party you've ever had in your entire life. Yeah. And then let's talk about it. And they always come back and they're like, yeah, like I kind of was over it pretty quickly. And I was like, yeah, that's. Yeah. Because when you play it up like that, I mean, guilt is trying to serve a purpose of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. It's trying to get you to do something. And so, yeah, if just kind of questioning it and reframing it and whatever isn't working off the bat, really playing it up, that causes you to also look at it more objectively and be like, oh, this is actually not working at all. This is not doing what it's trying to do. So what's the point? Why am I holding on to this? Well, and also guilt is like a mixture of things. Guilt is a victim complex. Sorry to anyone that triggers, but it's a guilt victim complex. And that's coming from a a victim in reform, you know, Yep. and it's a grasp for attention Mm. because victims need attention. Right. So when we're, when we're doing the guilt game of like, Oh, I'm so guilty. Like I ate this thing or I, you know, mm, 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 I am the victim of my own inner villain. Right. Cause it's always like against ourselves, unless it's against someone else. Sometimes it is against someone else, but a lot of times it's against ourselves of like, we are the villain and we are the victim. Mm. But we don't see the guilt voice as the victim. We only see ourselves as the villain. And we don't realize that we're also playing the victim at the exact same time. Yeah. So if you let yourself play the victim, have the tantrum, like really go in on that and give yourself all that attention that you were looking for, because that's really what you're looking for is attention. It loses its power. Yeah. You you kind of like, you stop identifying so much with the victim because you realize how absurd it actually is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but you have to like see it as absurd. You can't see it as inherently bad. Like I can sit here and say, yeah, it's like inherently a bit of a victim complex. And then there's going to be people who take that and are like beating themselves up for being a victim. And I'm like, okay, this is again, we're still in it. Right. So play it up, play it up, dramatize it, go all in on it. Like allow yourself to throw that pity party that you are looking for Mm -hmm. and then come back and be like, okay, how am I feeling now? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of almost helps you get to this place of acceptance with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't necessarily need this anymore. Mm -hmm. I think acceptance is kind of an interesting segue into that conversation is um, I saw one of your posts. I was kind of looking through before we came on for the interview and you at one point said acceptance is the key to freedom. Mm -hmm. What What did you mean by that? So that is a line that I, um, learned from my first ever mindset coach, Alyssa Nobriga in like 2019. And she used to say this all the time. She would like beat this into us. Acceptance is your key to freedom. Acceptance is your key to freedom. And that is so true on so many levels. You cannot change a pattern, behavior, thought process, anything, an experience that you're having in your life. You cannot change anything without accepting it first. People like to whip themselves and shame themselves under the premise that that's going to lead to change. And it just doesn't. You have to accept yourself first and make it neutral and then you can change it. Yeah. So when someone is not, is refusing to accept themselves, that tells me typically that they're not ready to change it. And that's not a bad thing because Mm -hmm. I too have patterns that I'm not ready to change or have had patterns that I was not ready to change. And so I had, I created energy around them, but anything, it's kind of like a bully, you know, Mm -hmm. if you are, if you have this bully who is they're they're looking for the reaction, they're looking for you to feed off of them so that they can feed off of you. So if you're like, oh, I hate this bully. I'm going to be so mean to them back. Like da, 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 da. Now you two are just two peas in a freaking pod. Right. Yeah. But if you just pretend the bully doesn't exist, you give them no reaction. You accept that they're there and you're like, this sucks. I, I don't like that. I have this bully, but like, there's nothing I can do about it. They're just going to keep running their mouth. They'll get tired eventually. Mm-hmm. Cause they're not getting what they want from you, which is the reaction. And you are no longer engaged in the dynamic. And all you can ever control is your own relationship in the dynamic, like your own role in the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So acceptance serves the same purpose is it takes you out of this dynamic with your patterns so that you're not fighting them and you're not avoiding them and running from them. You're just sitting with them. And that's, I mean, that's the basis of acceptance commitment therapy as well. Like this is, yeah you know, this is like day one of act, but it's still, it's so good that it's worth saying. Cause I think a lot of people really don't understand this concept. Yeah. And it's so good. Like once you really, really start to embody and understand how powerful acceptance is, everything begins to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before as well, right. With like, trusting yourself and trusting you your intuition, not feeling guilty. You have to come to this place where you're like, this is what it is mm-hmm. before you can actually do anything about it. Yep. You have to come to that place or you're always going to be having that internal battle. You're always going to be at odds. Well, you're, you're always going to be in relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And if you're in relationship with something, you're invested in maintaining that relationship. Even if you quote, hate it, right? Yeah. There's some part of you that's invested in maintaining that relationship with it. Mm-hmm. So acceptance actually frees you from the relationship with it so that you can change it. But that is really hard. That's really, really hard for a lot of people because it involves being like, I might actually have to let this go. Yeah. I say I want to let it go, but I don't actually want to let it go, you know? So then we got to look at that. And that's, and that's really where the the beauty of it is. Mm -hmm. And, and so how do you work with business owners on all of this? How do you work? How do you coach people on this who are owning a business and trying to run a business? I mean, it's just the same thing. People, um, I, I tend to not work with like earlier on business owners anymore, which is nice because I think the mindset drama and I'm actually starting, I I've been saying this for a year, I'm going to be starting a membership site. I'm actually going to do it, but I have been saying this for a whole ass year and not doing it. Um, for like more day oneers, and it's it's all mindset stuff because I think the mindset drama that comes with starting a business is like 
huge. Huge. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so there's that. But later on, like a lot of the business owners that I work with now are much farther along in their businesses and their careers. And the big thing is around rest or it's around, you know, I'm not scaling the way that I want to be scaling or I'm not, I'm still letting like, I've done all this work. And so I, and I, I do this too. Right. But it's like, I've done all this work. I've worked on all my patterns and I'm so good. I don't have any patterns left. How could I possibly (laughs) have any patterns left? I don't have anything left that I need to work on. And it's like, okay, we'll see. If you say so. Yeah, we'll see. Because <laughs> I see a pattern that has just morphed <laughs> into something else. It's gotten like more insidious and it's gotten, it has better language now, right? Like it's gotten yeah. more skilled, manipulative language. Gaslight herself with this like self-development rhetoric. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I do. And it's, I mean, to, to answer the question, how do I help people or how do I coach people around this? I don't know if I can answer that because it's like, everyone's so different. It really is just about figuring out what the problem is and what you want. And when you understand what the problem is and you understand what you want, then you can get to the root of why you're not getting what you want. And then it's just working it. And so I have a ton of different tools. Like I said, you can either work, do mindset work around it. You can go emotionally into the root of it. You can do somatic processes around it, unconscious work, or you can dramatize it, play it up and go that route. But there's always like a, there's always a way in. And once you get in and unlock it, it's like, Oh, I'm free from the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, in a nutshell, kind of what you do is help people become free from those patterns that are holding them back so they can grow not only in themselves, but in their businesses and in their careers as well. Yes. And a really big part of what I do is like emotional embodiment. Mm -hmm. You know, I always get the smartest, like my clients are always hyper intellectual self-development junkies. I don't even know if you're allowed to use the word junkies anymore. So I'm sorry if you can't, but a hyper intellectual self-development, like nerds, let's go with that. I don't know if you're allowed to use that either nerds <laughs> I was like oh my god what's that like the candy um so yeah self-development nerds and they come to me and they're like I know everything I'm so you know they're like I have all the language and all the things but they haven't cried for a, a single day for the past year and I'm yeah like, <laughs> they're like here's this 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 and this reason why I messed up and this is why this is what it does now and here's the patterns and like boom <laughs> it's always the people who have gone to every therapist and every therapist is like, and this is actually, I'm shocked. Sorry. I'm about to talk a little shit. I'm shocked that some therapists are therapists, honestly. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I'm an, I'm not a therapist. I'm not like licensed. Right. I did not go to school for therapy. I'm damn good at my job. I'm like damn good at my job. And I can spot like the, the therapists that they go to that say, Oh, you're so self-aware. Like, I don't really know how to help you. Like you have all the things. And then they're walking around afterwards. Like every therapist is stumped by me because I'm quote, so self-aware. I'm like, come here. Yeah. I gotcha. Come here. You can't trick me. Cause I, cause I was that bitch. Like I was that yeah. person in therapy who knew all the language and could intellectualize my way out of it. And like, you can't, bullshit a bullshitter yeah and you can't intellectualize your way out of these Mm -mm. things I mean it's helpful to have an intellectual understanding but that can only take you so far and it's going to ultimately do you a disservice at the end of the day if you're not able to like put that into practice and feel what you are going through yeah like I can I can help someone shift perfectionism let's say like a perfectionism pattern in one session just from them going deep into the emotion of it, mm-hmm. but it might take us five sessions for them to actually let me let them cry or like get them there. Yeah. I just had a client literally who cried for the first time in our session. And now I'm like, okay, this is where the work starts. Like, yeah. yeah. This is like, we, you know, we were, we did some things prior. They were mm-hmm. making some good aha moments and some good breakthroughs. They're crying on their own, which was really good. But I just got emotional breakthrough in a call. I'm like, all right, this is where it is because, and you know, no one wants to hear that because they're like, I don't want to cry. I don't want to have to face it. Can't I just talk my way out of it? And I'm like, no, trust me. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's me. But yeah. I hear so often. I don't have the time to cry. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Totally. I don't have the time to cry. Like I don't have the space. I'm so busy. I have to do all these things. I can't be emotional. 
Well, and you know what it is too, is like, it's those people who, and I actually, I still see this a lot, but I saw it a lot more with food, which was really interesting. It's the people who ended up in like a deep depression at one point in their life, probably high school, maybe college, Mm -hmm. maybe mid twenties. I tended to work with like older women when I was in my food freedoms, like in their late forties, early fifties, who had gone through this depression in their, this really during their really like formative years. And they're deeply afraid of crying because they're afraid that if they start, they'll go back. Yeah. But then it's like decades of suppressing that emotion and running from it. And so the thing that I always emphasize, and I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, like there, I've worked with people of all ages who have experienced this, like some sort of depression in their formative years that like really messed them up and made them scared to go back there. I think burnout's the same way. If you go through a really, really bad burnout, you're going to be really scared to go back there. Yeah. And so I I always say the same thing is like running from your emotions is going to be the thing that makes you go back there. Mm. Putting off feeling your feelings is going to be the thing that makes you cry for 24 hours straight. Yeah. (laughs) And gets in the way of your work and gets in the way of your family life and gets in the way of all these things. Mm. So now that you know that and can recognize that, can we go there? Yeah. And it might be hard for a while in the beginning because you've been restricting yourself for so long, but mm-hmm. it's not going to always be that way. It's going to get easier as you continue to practice. Yeah, and You're going to be able to regulate better and have a mm-hmm. larger window of tolerance as well for things. I call it the floodgates. Like sometimes when we open the floodgates of however many years of suppressing your emotions, it's going to totally overwhelm you. You might cry every day for a week or a month or whatever. I remember when I started going to therapy about a year after my dad died and I had overworked myself through the first year. It was actually right during my, um, he died two weeks before I left for my, well, I always call it rotations to non-dietetic people. Internship. My internship. Yeah. He died two weeks before my internship. I was leaving to go move somewhere and wow. I overworked myself through it. I was like, I just got to get through it. I think I cried once. I was also literally going insane. So that was, she was going through it, but I didn't cry. Like I cried maybe one time and then I got back from that and I was trying to start my business and I was trying to overwork myself through that and like stay really busy and like, you know, do all the things, excuse me. And, um, I ended up going to a therapist for my quote ADHD because I was like, and I do have ADHD, but it was really, really bad. I could not focus. I could not, my organization was a mess. Like I just couldn't do anything. And so I was going to this therapist being like, I'm going to get my ADHD under control. And then my therapist was like, has anything major happened in the past year? (laughs) Like my dad died a year ago, but like, that's not why I'm here. Like I'm here for my ADHD. And she was like, okay, no, totally. Have you gone to therapy since? I was like, no, but like, I'm here for my ADHD. She was like, okay. And then I cried for a year about my dad. And when I first started crying, I cried, I think, for not to be like biblical, but I, I'm pretty sure I cried for like 40 days and 40 nights type of vibe. Like yeah. I, it was a absolute waterfall of emotions to the point that my best friend came over and she stayed in my, she stayed at my house while I was away for a weekend and she watched my cats. And she, when I got back, she was like, the vibes are thick in here. <laughs> she was like, I cried so much. Like, well, I don't know what you did to this place, but like, we need it's... to cleanse it or she was like, it's really intense in here. And I was like, thanks for watching my cat. Like, I hope you got a good cry in <laughs> like, back to my, back to my tears. So that can happen. And so the thing that I always tell people is like, that will end just like if a water dam breaks, yeah. the water will level out. It's just physics really you're bound to stop crying. (laughs) I promise not forever, but like, you're going to stop. Yeah. It goes back to trusting yourself, right? Trusting yourself that you can make it through that hard time to get to a time where things are more calm. Yeah. And it's just the binge restrict cycle, you know, but for feelings. Yep. Emotional restriction. It's a, it's one that people don't recognize, but it, Mm -hmm. it really gets in the way. They're like, you know, I'm not physically restricting. I'm not mentally restricting. Like I'm actually really good about my thoughts and yada, yada, yada. But then there's all this like people pleasing happening mm-hmm. and, you know, no boundaries and all these different things that are happening in their lives. And then it 
is causing them to be chaotic with food. And it's like, okay, let, mm-hmm. let's look at that because yeah, that, that counts yeah. too. I will say like being in food freedom and intuitive eating, all that stuff taught me so much about the human psyche mm-hmm. and about like physics that I just, I mean, the pendulum is everything is, I used to say this joke all the time. I haven't said it in so long, but like everything is a pendulum. Yeah. Everything's a spectrum or a pendulum. You cannot point out anything in the natural world that is not a spectrum or a pendulum. True. I agree with that. You know, and it's like, once you start to see it, you really start to see it. So if you can apply these principles, if you've been doing it with food, you just apply it out Mm -hmm. really to like every other problem that you have. Yeah. So I think the people that are healing their relationship with food are actually like giving themselves such a powerful gateway to be able to like go through all these other healing processes that they need to go through. Yeah. It's, it starts with food and with your body, but it, it has a ripple effect into all these other areas of your life and positively benefits you. And I mean, for you, it changed career paths. Yeah. And I think that like that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone through healing your relationship with food and your body, you wouldn't have found what you're doing now, which you're loving. So totally, it's really beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for being here. If anyone listening, if you're feeling, you know, stuck, burnt out, misaligned in your business or career, or you just are someone who needs some intuitive guidance in your life, definitely go check out Whitney. Um, Where, where can people find you? Um, Whitney Catalano on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, but I'm not really on Twitter as much anymore. And then I have, I mean, in my bio, it's like WhitneyCatalano.com. You can find pretty much everything. I also have a podcast that I very infrequently add episodes to. My whole thing with the new podcast is like, I'm going to do it when I want to do it, when I feel inspired. So whatever. But it's called, it's all made up anyway. And I have a recent episode of like how to find motivation after burnout that I think would be really beneficial based on this conversation. Um, It's a really good, I go into like every single possible cause of not having motivation after burnout and how to get back. Like I did my freaking, I made sure I covered all my bases. So go listen to that episode. I get the most comments that I get from people about my podcast is about that episode because it's so thorough. So check that out. I love that. I think that that would be a very valuable resource for everybody. I I think that everyone who's struggling with food in their body are probably burnt out in one way or the other. So Mm -hmm. definitely need a resource on that. So sharing. Yeah. Thank you for being here and for everyone listening. We'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you. And as always, as we wrap up this episode, it is so appreciated if you could leave a rating for the podcast if you're listening on Spotify or Apple and a review if you are just on Apple. It helps more than you know and helps spread the word so this show can help more people who really need it. That's all I have for today. See you next week and thank you for being here.